If you're familiar at all with uh, The Lord of the Rings, it's a classic quest story. It's one that begins in a place called the Shire. The Shire is beautiful, it is fruitful, and perhaps what's most important about the Shire is that it is outside of this area where all the evil of Middle-earth is happening. If you were to ask those who live in the Shire, like Frodo, the main character, or one of the main characters of the story, what the Shire was like, Frodo would call his home delightful and abundant and plentiful. And as he said it, you would see the smile on his face and the twinkle on his eye, because as far as he knew the world to be, it was just like the Shire. See, the Shire for us this morning will serve as a metaphor of sorts. Because the Shire is not just a geographic place. It can be an emotional, a relational, and a spiritual place. A lot of times when couples first meet, for a period of time, their relationship exists in the Shire. I've done premarital counseling, and I've sat across those couples that look deep into one another's eyes and say, I love you, pumpkin. Oh, I love you too, sweetie. And it's just so cute, isn't it? To watch those young couples in the Shire. And as we do uh, premarital counseling, everyone does something called the prepare and enrich assessment. And it has something called idealistic distortion. And that's when couples tend to move in a way that distorts their relationship in a positive direction. They may affirm these sort of things. Every new thing I have learned about my partner pleases me. They may say, my partner always gives me love and affection. My partner and I completely understand each other. And we are as happy as any couple could be. And depending on how long you're, you've been married, you may see some of those statements as wonderfully blissful or awfully naive. See, the Psalms find themselves sometimes being written from the perspective of the Shire. Walter Brueggemann has categorized the Psalms into three broad types, the first of which is he calls Psalms of Orientation. These are Psalms that are well-ordered, they speak of the world as reliable, and as all that God does as life-giving. See, in these types of Psalms, everything is working out just as it ought to be. One can be overwhelmed with thankfulness because the world they see is just like the Shire. It's perfect, and it's just as it ought to be. So an example of this type of psalm is going to be Psalm 104, and we're going to look at it from the context of thanksgiving, though if you pay close enough attention, you'll realize it doesn't have the word thanksgiving in it. Now, scholars will debate an arm wrestle about the difference between thanksgiving and praise, and basically the discussion is, are they identical twins, are they brothers, or are they cousins? But either way, everyone puts praise and thanksgiving into the same family group. Sometimes people will say that the psalms of thanksgiving tend to be more specific, while psalms of praise tends to be more general. But as we look at this psalm, I want us to look at it with this model of a psalm of orientation where the world is well-ordered, reliable, and life-giving. So we begin in the fifth verse. You set the earth on its foundations so that it shall never be shaken. 
You cover it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they flee. At the sound of your thunder they take flight. They rose up to the mountains, ran down to the valleys, to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass, so that they might not again cover the earth. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills, giving drink to every wild animal, the wild donkey to quench their thirst. By the streams, the birds of the air have their habitation. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. Doesn't that psalm just make you want to circle up and sing Kumbaya together? This psalm of orientation where where everything moves as it ought to be, where everything seems to be in sync. See, it speaks often in this text of the waters or of the seas. And in the ancient Near Eastern mind, it was the waters that represented chaos. The waters being that which was dangerous, that which was un, one was unable to control. But what is it that God does in this psalm to the waters? He rebukes the waters and they flee. He appoints a place for them. He sets a boundary that they might not pass. So what the psalmist is celebrating is that God has taken the chaos of the sea and he has ordered it and he has subjected it to his own power and command. So when God says to the sea what it may and may not do, the sea then obeys. See, the psalms love similes. And here's a simile that I think represents God. When I think of chaos, I think not of the sea and not of the waters, but I think of young children. Especially those kinds of children. When you say no, they think you mean yes. When you say stop, they think you mean go. And before you know it is chaotic and it is frantic. And there are homes, and perhaps you've even lived in that kind of a home, where the children represent the chaos that cannot be ordered. Have you ever seen the British TV show called Super Nanny? Where Super Nanny comes in and within five minutes these chaotic children are sitting there politely saying please and thank you, angelic young beings. And you wonder, what did the Super Nanny do? She brought order to chaos. And such is what this psalmist is saying that God has done with the water. He brings order into that which is chaos. And so the psalmist is thankful that the world is as it should be. That the world is in the good hands of God. And so he writes again from the perspective of the Shire in a world where all is well. And he continues in the 14th verse saying, You cause the grass to grow for the cattle and the plants for people to use. You bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the human heart, oil to make the face shine, and bread to strengthen the human heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the birds build their nests, the stork has its home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats, and the rocks are a refuge for the coonies. You have made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows its time for setting, You make darkness, and it is night, when the animals of the forest come creeping out. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they withdraw and lie down in their dens. People go out to their work 
and to their labor until the evening. So not only has God well ordered the chaos of the water, but he has now redirected it so that instead of it being a danger, it's now a source of blessing and provision for humankind. So the water makes the plants to grow, which then the cattle eat, which is now a gift for people to use. And there's the abundance of all of nature providing what is necessary for the benefit of man, things like wine and oil and bread. God uses that creation to provide all that is needed and necessary. And every part of nature finds a home. The birds, the goats, and the coonies. So God not only created the world, but now we see God sustaining, giving the world its order and its structure day to day. He even feeds the lions, and the lion looked to God to provide its food. So we have this God who orchestrates and oversees everything. See, the psalm captures the experience of thanksgiving, because when you look out at the world, you see that the world is as it ought to be. God in control, and God providing abundantly. And some of you, you may have sat around the Thanksgiving table and you looked back at your year and it was a year in the shire for you. This year I got a pay raise. All my kids are healthy. I'm in better shape than I've ever been. I'm growing closer to God. My friendships are richer. My home is paid off. I'm giving away more money than I've ever given away. Life could not be better. Thank you, God, for ordering and orchestrating it all. But there is something of which this psalmist does not write, and perhaps something of which this psalmist chooses not to address. It is the brutal and cruel side of nature. Do you notice the the perspective of this is a very unique perspective? In verse 21, he speaks of God providing for the young lion. But the psalmist will later in 1712 speak of the lion as the one who is eager to tear him to pieces. So which is the picture of the lion? The lion that just simply gets the food that God provides. What happens when you are the food that God provides the lion? It's not such a pretty picture anymore is it or he talks here about at night when when the forest animals come creeping out and it's paints such a beautiful picture but in 44 19 he says you have broken us in the haunt of jackals and covered us with deep darkness what speaks of god's continual provision later becomes a source of fear and concern see one of the things that i think is important for us to recognize about the psalms is their diversity See, the Psalms, in order for them to be a companion along this spiritual journey, they must be recognized as situational Psalms that speak to different phases and different times in our lives. See, Athanasius once said of the Scriptures that the Scriptures are God's word to us, while the Psalms are God's words for us. See, what the Psalms are to do is to take our experience and to give us language for it. And so sometimes the Psalms will be written from this perspective when all is well. But we need to recognize one of the keys to reading the Psalms is an honest narration of our experiences and our emotions attached to them. Honesty is crucial in reading the Psalms. See, the Psalms then are most valuable when they intersect with our current context. 
So we have to be very careful to pay attention to where we are. One writer says that we need to learn the practice to discipline of putting ourselves, uh, putting our experience into conversation with the Psalms. There will be certain Psalms that resonate with you, that give you the very language for which you are seeking, and then there will be other Psalms that you just simply say, I'm just not there right now. Now, what are we to do then when 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. See, some text will come with the language of prescription. In terms of this is how you ought to act and this is what you ought to do. Prescriptive language will have words like should, ought, never, always, must. But the Psalms are not such. The Psalms, in fact, are more descriptive than they are prescriptive. The Psalms don't say, for a conversation in the Psalms is not like this where I say, I'm sad. And then the Psalms say, well, stop being sad. The, the Psalms, when I say, I'm mad, don't say, Stop being mad and be happy instead. The Psalms, when I say I'm struggling, they don't say, oh, ye of little faith. The Psalms simply give voice to those experiences. So then the nature of the Psalms, instead of offering a rebuke, they offer instead an invitation, and they offer to be transformative. See, what happens when we honestly express our experiences and we read the Psalms, We come alongside the psalm, and the psalm then becomes like a shepherd that walks through that pathway for us. It does not correct us or rebuke us, but it says here is a pathway for walking through these emotions and these experiences you're currently going through. And it is in that way that they train us towards righteousness, but it will be much subtler than other texts. See, I guess I'm thinking of a a 2012 study where 167 college students were put in a room for 12 minutes and and told to feel happier, and then afterwards asked if they felt happier. And guess what? Most of them didn't when they were commanded to feel happier. Another group was put into a room where they played happy music, and they weren't told to be happy, but when they left, they asked if they felt better, and what did they say? Most of them then said yes. See, the Psalms are to be experienced as we go through life that give give language to us and result in our subtle transformation. We're not changed by by our analysis of the Psalms, but by our participation and our reading of the Psalms. See, back to Psalm 104, not everyone can find this text to be a proper expression of their experiences. For some of us, you think, I'm not going to get there without the help of any sort of emotion-altering drugs. This level of happiness of this is how the world is. Look, for example, at Psalm 104, verses 27 and 28. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. How do you think you might read this psalm if you were starving? And it had been three days since your last meal. Would your perspective of this psalm be different if life was going poorly instead of everything falling into place for you? Is this psalm written then only for the blessed financially? See, there's this diversity. Should the righteous say to the poor, O ye of little faith, if you had more faith, 
oh, you would just join me in this psalm? Or should they simply be invited into its reading? It is Jesus who says, the poor you will always have with you, but this psalm seems to be ignorant of the presence of the poor. So which is right? Are there poor or are there not? And we'll find that from different perspectives, some recognize the poverty in ways that are different than others. See, the Psalms then are not just a statement of how the world is, but of how one is experiencing the world. And that's a valid faith expression, as long as it's honest. For some of you, the language of 104 is the best language of what you can speak of for Thanksgiving. But for others who recognize all of these other aspects of how the world is not working as it is, this would be a dishonest expression of your faith. And the Psalms do not call you to ignore your experiences, but simply to bring them into the presence of the Psalms as they bring about the transformation. See, so we need to be honest in our companionship with the Psalms because they speak to all situations across the whole spectrum of life. So remember earlier I said that there are these psalms of orientation that Walter Brueggemann introduces. He says the second category are psalms of disorientation. These are the psalms that you experience when you've left the Shire, when you've fallen into that violent world, when you've seen all of the evil that's happening out there in Middle Earth, and it's now very difficult for you to express thanksgiving in the same way that you did before because your experience of the world has now fundamentally shifted. Anguish, suffering, and death becomes realities of which you previously have not known nor experienced. And then there is this third category, which are the psalms of reorientation. These are the psalms like when you return to the Shire. After all the things that you've been through, you see the beauty there of the Shire, but you are now woefully aware of the world that is out there. And of the ways that evil continues to do its work. And it is in that place of the Psalms of Reorientation that you receive a new faith. You receive new gifts that God uses to sustain your faith. And so the question is, well, which of these are the better psalm? That's the wrong question. The question is, which of these psalms are best expressing the experiences that you're finding yourself in? See, the psalms will speak differently to all of us. People don't remain in the Shire forever, do they? I mean, Frodo certainly didn't. He went out and he found a violence that he never knew. He experienced hurt and pain that he never knew. And then when he was getting ready to go back to the Shire, Gandalf warned him, there are some wounds that cannot be wholly cured. Have you ever experienced that? That, that you've been scarred by an experience that you're never going back to Eden anymore. And Frodo, as he prepares to enter the Shire, he says, There is no real going back. Though I may come to the Shire, it will not seem the same. For I shall not be the same. I am wounded with knife, sting, and tooth, and a long burden. So Psalm 104 is a psalm written from the Shire. But not all psalms, and not even all psalms of thanksgiving will be. There are psalms of thanksgiving that are written from these times of disorientation, and there are psalms written from these times even of reorientation. But what we recognize is that the psalms will recognize and have elements of praise in every single one. The, the title for the psalms is the Psalms of Praise. And there will be long droughts in the psalms where you'll say, where is the praise? 
But even in the midst of the lament psalms, there's always this movement towards thanksgiving and this movement towards praise. But it is not dishonest. It is very honest about one's experiences. See, for some of you, because of what you've endured, these psalms may seem, perhaps the best word is inauthentic to you. In 2016, David Taylor sat down with what I guess I would initially have considered to be a very unlikely pair, Eugene Peterson and Bono, the lead singer from U2. Uh, Peterson has probably one of the, um, the rarest commendations in his book. Peterson, of course, the one who translated the message, was asked on one occasion when Bono was in the States doing a performance to come and to uh, be at the concert, VIP guest on Bono's behalf. Peterson denied because, first of all, he didn't have any idea who U2 was nor who Bono was. And secondly, because he was translating Jeremiah, and he said, what's more important, translating Jeremiah or going to a rock concert? First person in history probably ever turned Bono down on any request. But the two of them got together and had a conversation about the Psalms. And, and, and the conversation at one point turned to contemporary Christian music. And Bono was asked what he thought about contemporary Christian music, and he, he said that he believes contemporary Christian music has a level of dishonesty. And, and what he was saying was that when you look at these psalms, they seem to all have been written from the Shire, where, where life is good and where life is wonderful. And so Bono said, I wonder what it would look like for a song to be written from the point of somebody who is struggling with their marriage. I mean, you listen to, you, you listen to contemporary Christian music and, and boy... Who has a bad marriage? People out there, but certainly not people in here. Now, whether you agree with Bono or not is not the point. The point simply is your experiences will either cause you to say, well, that's just not right. Everything should be written from the Shire. And for others of you, say, yeah, I need another level of honest, authentic expression of my experiences. See, I think about the Psalms from the perspective of how people chart the different types of love. People who look at relationships say they begin in the passionate love phase. That's the shyer phase of the relationship, isn't it? That's the phase where when you come to premarital counseling, you're there most of the time. But what happens, I wonder, when you throw in a few dirty diapers, long work hours, a demanding job, lots of stress, well, what usually happens is you move into a new phase of love, what is called companionship love. Companionship love is described in this way. It is a calmer state that comes after. It is filled with quiet satisfaction, friendship, and gentler happiness. Now the question is, which of these two is love? And of course the answer is both of them are. But they're just love that has been through some very different experiences. And the nature of that loving relationship has changed. And I think that Thanksgiving and the Psalms are very similar. The thanksgiving in times of orientation, in times of disorientation and reorientation all look very different, but it's thanksgiving nonetheless that we journey through these phases. And the thing that I just can't solve in my mind is whether ultimately the Psalms of orientation find themselves at the back end in the same way they find themselves at the front end. That you've even been through all these experiences and yet you still have a view of the world through faith that is just as naive as it was in the beginning. I don't know whether that psalm of orientation should find itself again at the culmination of this process or if it's 
a form of faith that we grow past or we grow beyond. So wherever you find yourself, and here's the gift that the Psalms give to us, is it allows us to be authentic about our experiences and find reason for thanksgiving in the midst of that. So some of you, this year, there was no job promotion. In fact, you may have lost a job. And no, in fact, the kids are not healthy. In fact, they've now been diagnosed with something you're struggling with. And no, the house is not paid off, but you have mounting medical bills. But see, what the psalmist does is says there's a reason for thanksgiving. Regardless of where one finds themselves in this phase, this movement, it doesn't require inauthenticity. It doesn't require us to lie about how we're feeling. The psalms allows us to express our reality and then gives us the words we need to recognize God's faithful provision. And as we read in the psalms, we will find our thanksgiving transformed. We may find ourselves being thankful in situations we previously couldn't have been. I believe that's the power of the Word of God, and that's the power of the Psalms. And so as a word of blessing, I want to read for us as we conclude the final verses of Psalm 104, verses 31 through 35. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. And may the Lord rejoice in His works, who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. If you want someone to pray with uh, this morning, I'll be in the back. Some of our elders will be back there. We'd be happy to pray with you. Uh, talk about where you are in your faith journey and how the Psalms may be able to be a companion alongside you uh, at that time. So if you want to respond, we'll be in the back while together we stand and sing.